Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. If you're visiting with us this weekend, we are bringing to a close this weekend a series that we have been unpacking as we've been studying together through a New Testament letter called 1 John. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible to 1 John, it's towards the end of the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. And John, in this section of the letter, has been addressing the subject of living in the last days. And over the last four weekends, we have tried to answer a lot of questions about what it looks like to live in the last days. We've defined things like the last days. We've looked at what John said about the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist and and what that looks like in our world today. We've talked about how to prepare ourselves for his coming. John has answered a lot of questions, but there are many questions that obviously in this small section of Scripture, John did not address nor answer. There are a lot of questions that we all have concerning the end times and living in the last days. But John closes this section of Scripture by giving us some encouraging words. He's reminding us of five things that in the midst of a lot of uncertainty, these are five things that we know for sure. So let me read you these words again. We began looking at them last weekend. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Look what it says. See how great a love... The Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because, we just sang this, we will see Him just as He is. Amen? And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. We began last weekend, we said there were five of these words that John gives us of encouragement. Last weekend, we unpacked one of them. This weekend, we're going to get through the other four. I know that makes some of you nervous, but I promise we're going to make it, all right? We looked at the first one last weekend, and here's what we said. We know that we are loved children of the Father. Remember that last weekend? We know that we are loved children of the Father. If you weren't here last weekend, I encourage you to go back and watch that because it's the love of God that should really shape how we view the last days. You see, your Father who loves you is in control of everything. So what are you worried about? What are we stressed about? Why are we anxious? Our Father loves us and He's in control. We talked about that last weekend. So I want us to move on today to the second of these things that we know for sure that can bring us encouragement. Number number two is we know this world is not our home. 
Read that out loud with me. We know this world is not our home. Did you hear what he said? Chapter 3, verse 1, the last half. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The word know there is a word that means to arrive at knowledge of someone or something through experience. It's a word that that speaks to relational understanding of each other. It's the, the way we would use this word in our vernacular is I don't, I don't think that he or she really knows me. It doesn't mean that they don't know anything about us. We're saying they don't really understand us relationally. You ever feel like you don't fit in here in this world? Anybody else ever feel like that? Do you ever think this world just doesn't understand you? It doesn't think like you think. It, it doesn't approach things with the same perspective that you approach things from. You see, the reality is this world didn't just not relationally understand Jesus. This world completely rejected Jesus. And because Christ now lives in us, you and I are going to experience that same reality. This world is not our home. John is teaching us here that the longer the Lord delays his return, with every day that goes by that Jesus does not come again, you and I will not fit in this world more and more and more. I'm reading a little book right now by Andrew Murray. In in this book, look, look at this quote. Andrew Murray says this, The spirit of this world which is devotion to the visible. What a great statement. You want to sum up the world system? Here it is. Devotion to the visible. Here's what that means. This world lives for the here and now. What I can see, what I can taste, what I can touch, what I can feel, what I can experience right now, that's what I'm devoted to. Everything in my life revolves around getting what I can see, taste, touch, feel, smell, or experience. That is the world that we live in. Andrew Murray says, the spirit of this world, which is devotion to the visible, dedication to the here and now, is in irreconcilable antagonism with the spirit of Jesus in heaven, where God and his will are everything. The two spirits, the spirit of the world and the spirit of God, are engaged in a life and death conflict with one another. This is why God always called on his people to separate themselves from the world and to live as pilgrims whose treasure and hearts are in heaven. Here's what Andrew says. This world lives... For the here and now, Christ in us causes us to desire to live for a world that is yet to come. We're not living for the here and now. We live in the here and now, but we're not living for the here and now. We're living for a world that is yet to come. And so it makes sense that you and I would not always fit in in this world. I hear a lot of believers today 
in the midst of what we've been through in our societies, particularly in this last political campaign with the landscape of what's taking place in the political scene, I hear a lot of believers today talking about the world with a great sense of worry and a great sense of anxiety. There are Christians that go home at night and the first thing you do is you turn on the news channel, which is whichever flavor you prefer, right? Because that's what we get today with news. It's flavors. It's just which flavor do you like to to eat from? But there are all these different flavors of news, and we all know that. But believers, they go home, and the first thing they do is they flip this on, and they just start getting stressed and worried and anxious and all torn up inside. They're running for bottles of Tums because they're just all torn up. We get so upset about the political landscape or the decline of society or the erosion of morality. We get so distraught about losing the American way of life. Listen, why are we so stressed out? We don't belong here. This world's not our home. This is not our home. And John is reminding us we're living in the last days. You don't belong. That's why Paul said this. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said, For our citizenship is in heaven. Well, that'd be good for a lot of us to just wrap our hearts and minds around, right? It's a whole lot of talk about citizenship these days. Our citizenship is in heaven. This world's not our home. Paul said, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. The security of my future does not rest in the success of this world. The security of my future rests in the sovereignty of God and a world that is yet to come. So here's a good spiritual word for all of us. Chill out. (laughs) Chill out. Here's the the third of these. We we know we're loved children of the Father. We know this world is not our home. We know Jesus is coming again. Hey, that's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a whole lot of stuff we don't know. We could fill books. We could fill volumes of books with what we're not sure about. But here's what John said we know for sure. We know Jesus is coming again. Again, look at verse 2. He said, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that, don't miss this, when He appears. Give you a little seminary lesson, all right? We believe in what is called verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Here's what that means. Every Word of God. Every word contained in this book is inspired by God Himself. It was written by over 40 authors spanning over 1,600 years. It was written by men using their personalities. But every word that they wrote down from Genesis to Revelation, every single solitary word is inspired and chosen by God Himself. Here's what that means. Every single word's important. He could have said, we know that if he appears. That that, that would change the way we read this. Amen? I mean, if and when 
don't mean the same thing. If describes a situation that is hypothetical. It is a subjective possibility. Meaning, if he had said, we know that if he appears, there would be a chance he's coming again. It's a hypothetical, subjective possibility. Maybe, gee, we know that maybe, but he didn't say if. He said, when. And that wasn't just John saying that. That is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, when means something very different than if. When refers to something. Every time this particular word is used in the New Testament, it always refers to something definite in the future. Here's what that means. The New Testament gives us zero room to doubt that Jesus is coming again. It's not if, it's when. We know he's coming. A couple of weekends ago, Pastor Travis talked about this here in one of these messages, and he made this statement. I love this. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament refers to the Lord's return. Think about that. You read 25 verses in the Bible, every, every time you read 25 verses, on average, you're going to read one verse that talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. You cannot read the New Testament and not be convinced that Jesus Christ is coming again. As believers, that ought to shape the way we live. That ought to shape the way you go to work tomorrow. That ought to shape the way we love our, our, our families, our, our spouses, our kids. That ought to shape the way we relate to our neighbors. Why? Because it's not if, it's when. Jesus Christ is going to return, and when he returns, it's going to be glorious. Let me read you the way Jesus described it himself. Turn over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus describes his own second coming. Listen to what it says. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The sun will be darkened. In the Greek construction here, this is in the passive voice. Here's what that means. The sun's not going to just go dark. Somebody's going to flip the switch to turn it off. The subject is not doing the action. The subject in the passive voice is receiving the action. The sun will be darkened. Somebody's going to turn the sun off. You know that thing that you can count on every morning at the same time to rise and wake you up? That thing that brightens the day? That thing that when we go out is going to provide? The sun is going to be turned off. Then look what it says. And the moon will not give its light. Now, that makes sense, right? Why? Because the moon simply does what? Reflects the light of the sun. So if somebody, it doesn't say here. It's interesting. I love the the grammatical construction here. It doesn't say somebody's going to turn off the moon. The moon's just going to stop doing what it does. What does it do? Reflect the sun. Why is it going to stop? Because somebody turned the sun off. And the stars will fall from the sky. (laughs) And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
what's happening here? Let me tell you what's happening. God is turning off the lights of the universe. Hannah, my daughter and I, last night I have a friend who plays in a band for country music. Some of you folks don't know what country music is. He plays in a band for country music. and he, They were playing out here last night at the House of Blues for the ACM Awards. And so he invited us to come down to their show. And there were four bands playing. And each band would play. And then when that band would finish, there would be a little brief intermission. And then when the next band was about to start, all the lights in the theater would go dark. You know what that did? When all the lights went out, it captured everybody's attention. And we all looked center stage. And then the light would come up on the stage. You know what this is? God is turning off the lights of the universe because He is about to turn all the light on his son. Look, look at it, look at it, look at it. Jesus said, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Let me tell you what. We know Jesus is coming again. And the first time he came, he came through the entrance of a uh, being unknown and unseen, the back door of the stable. But the next time he comes, he's coming through the front door of the universe for all the world to see him. Listen to what J.C. Ryle said. J.C. Ryle wrote about it this way. Look what he said. The second coming of Christ shall be utterly unlike the first. <laughs> That's an understatement. Amen. He came the first time in weakness, a tender infant born of a poor woman in the manger at Bethlehem, unnoticed, unhonored, and scarcely known. He shall come the second time in royal dignity with the armies of heaven around him to be known, recognized, and feared by all the tribes of the earth. He came the first time to suffer, to bear our sins, to be reckoned a curse, to be despised, rejected, unjustly condemned and slain. He shall come the second time to reign, to put down every enemy beneath his feet, to take the kingdom of this world for his inheritance, to rule them with righteousness, to judge all men and to live forevermore. How vast the difference, how mighty the contrast. Jesus is coming again. Hey, it could be today. You all right with that? <laughs> Number four, we know Jesus is not finished with us yet. You ever think, I'm never going to be the Christian I want to be. Don't look at me like you don't ever think that. 
had some bumps in my life this week <laughs> where I thought, Lord, am I ever going to get there? Look what John said. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Go back to the phrase before that. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. That phrase, that little word appeared means to cause, to become known. Here's what that means. God's not finished with you yet. I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to say to them, hey, God's not finished with me yet. Go ahead, look at him, tell him. All right, now look this way. Hey, now you look back at him and say, thank you, Jesus. Amen? <laughs> Some of you are saying, yep, that's what I'm hanging on to today. That's the word I needed, Pastor. Let me give you two encouraging truths. Number one, look at this. God will finish what he began in your life. He's going to finish what he started. Hey, we're just, we're a work in progress. We hadn't arrived yet. But he said when he appears, we will be like him. Again, not potential action. Definite, real, future action. It's why Paul wrote it this way in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul said, for I am confident. I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will, say it out loud. How about that? You're going to be perfect. He's going to perfect. You say, man, that takes a lot of faith. I know it does. Perfected until the day of Christ Jesus. One of my favorite translations or, or paraphrases of the Bible to read is by Eugene Peterson. It's called The Message. It's not a translation, but it's a paraphrase. And he paraphrases this verse of Scripture from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Look the way he paraphrases it. Look at this. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Amen? He is going to finish what he started. That is such good news. Here's the second encouraging truth. God is using everything in your life to finish what he began. He's using everything. God is at work in everything in your life. Let me show it to you. Romans chapter 8. It's a verse we love. Verse 28. And we know, look what it says. We know that God causes what? Say it out loud. Where'd it go? Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes, say it out loud, right here. All things. That little word, all things, that little phrase means each and every one. It means the very specific detail, but it also means all the whole, the whole package. Every little detail, every little circumstance in your life, and the whole package that is your life. God is using all of it to do what? 
to work together for good to those who what? Love God and are what? Called according to his purpose. We love Romans 8, 28. Here's the problem. We don't read verse 29. Verse 29 tells us the purpose. Look at it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. There's the purpose. Here's what this verse really teaches us. God is constantly at work using everything in our lives, every situation, every circumstance. You know what I believe? I believe there's not a person in this room that wishes to relive last year's political campaign. We never want to go through that again. Amen? But here's what I want you to know. You know why God allowed that? There was some stuff in you and some stuff in me that he wanted to do that he couldn't do with all that we went through. Doesn't matter what part of what party you're from or what affiliation you have. There was listen, that wasn't about all that. It was about what God was doing in us. There was some stuff in us that God wanted to conform to the image of Christ. Listen, the, the stuff that's happening in your life today, what's going on at your work, what's happening in your neighborhood, what's going on in your relationships. God is sovereignly at work using all of that to conform every part of you to the perfect image of the Lord Jesus Christ. God uses that stuff to surface stuff in us that wouldn't be surfaced otherwise. And then in the midst of that, His grace goes to work to conform us. You know what we tend to do? We tend to put God in a box. Well, God works in my life in gather time at church on Sunday. That's where God works in my life. Or... Or God works in my life at group time when I, I get with my small group. That's where, that's where God's at work. Or, or God works in my life in my God time in the morning. This blows that box up. Tomorrow when you're at work and it all blows up and everybody's mad, God wants to use that moment as much as he wants to use this moment to conform you to the image of Christ. If you'll just walk with him in that moment and lean and press into him in that moment. God's using everything. We can know God's not finished with us yet. Here's the last thing, number five. We know that our pursuit today is Christ-likeness. Living in the last days. The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, the end times. whole lot I don't know. Here's what I do know. Here's the mission today. Here's the focus today. Pursue Christ-likeness. Look at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope. What hope is he talking about? That he's coming. That we'll see him. And when we see him, we'll be made like him. He said, everyone that has this hope purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Because I know that he's at work in me, I strive in his power to remove everything in my life today that doesn't look like him. Here's what we tend to do. 
we tend to compare ourselves with each other. Well, I, I may not be perfect, but I mean, look at, look at this guy. I mean, I, I'm better than him. <laughs> well, I may not be all the husband I'm supposed to be, but I mean, I, I'm better than a whole bunch of them. That's not the standard. Just as he is pure. So today, I'm to seek by his strength and power and grace to remove everything in my life that doesn't look like him. Because that's what he's doing. And so now I'm just joining in what he's doing. My mentor, Clyde Cranford, said it this way, and I'll close with this quote. He said, here also is a kind of striving. But it does not mean that we are to work for salvation. Rather, we are to work from salvation. We are to work out in practical, everyday living what God is working on the inside. Our work is inspired and energized by His working within. Here again, we see two sides to the development of practical holiness. Man's striving, energized by the sovereign might of God. So when we started, I gave you three challenges. I said, first of all, to us as the church, what does this mean we're living in the last days? Here's, here's what it means for us as the church. The mission is urgent. The mission is urgent. Why we see what Stephanie did this morning, why that's so powerful, because the mission is urgent. Jesus is coming, and it could happen any day. To us as individuals living in the last days, here's what this means. Our walk with God daily matters. Because he desires through us to manifest his life and his light in the world. And thirdly, I said, if you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what this means for you. The time is short. If you don't know Jesus, listen, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to be saved. Let's pray together this morning. Father. God, I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit right now that as only you can, you would speak to people in this room. And God, I pray specifically this morning, first of all, for those that don't know you. If you're here and you're a Christian, I want you right now to begin to pray for people in this room that don't know Jesus. You just start praying for them. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, in just a moment, what's going to happen? We're about to stand and we're going to sing a song of worship together today. But if you're not a Christian, you've never experienced the love, grace, and forgiveness of God. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to come. When we stand to sing in just a moment, some will be coming to pray here at the front. But if you don't know Jesus, I'm inviting you to come to one of these. We're going to have some pastors I'm here. We've got a couple other pastors on either side of the steps. 
while we're singing this song of worship, you come to one of these pastors and all you have to say is this. Just say, I need Jesus. That's it. I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God, how you can be forgiven of your sin, you can become God's child today, you can leave here today knowing that if Jesus comes again, your eternity is secure in heaven. All we're asking you to do today is just come. Just come. That's it. Just come. When we stand to sing, you come. All you got to say, I need Jesus. That's it. For others of you today, maybe you're here and you're walking through one of those difficult circumstances and situations. And you just need a pastor to pray with you. We'd be honored. You just come. Our pastors are here. Come to one of these pastors. We're going to pray for you. If you're not connected, we're going to help get you connected. But we just want to pray for you. Maybe it's something in your job, your health, your family, whatever it is, you just come. For others, maybe you don't need to pray with a pastor. You just want to come be alone with the Lord. You can come these steps. We're going to turn them into like an old-fashioned altar. You can just come. Be alone with God. During this time of worship, you respond as you sense the Spirit leading you. Maybe you need to get somebody in this room and go pray together. You feel the liberty to do that, just to go and pray. Maybe there's somebody that from the very beginning of this service that's lost and they've been on your heart and you just want to come get in this altar and just pray for them. Holy Spirit of God, in this moment, we invite you to move. Have your way. Lord, I pray for those that don't know Jesus. I pray they would make a decision right now that as soon as we stand, they're going to come to one of these pastors and just say, I need Jesus. Lord, we love you today. Move in power in Jesus' name.